Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Laura Bailey. Laura is the author of Beyond the Noise, and today we are going to be talking about 10 lies that Satan wants us to believe to deceive us and how we can counteract them with God's truth. So today we pray that after tuning in, you can silence the lies of the deceiver and live beyond the noise. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So you have written a book titled Beyond the Noise, where you explore 10 lies that Satan wants us to believe to deceive us. So to begin our conversation today, why do you think that the world has gotten so noisy? And do you think it has always been this way? So my answer to that question would be yes, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that the world has always been a noisy place, but I do think that the time that we're living in right now offers a unique set of challenges. And if we go back to the garden, specifically when we're looking at Genesis chapter three, where we read um, the interaction of Eve with the serpent, I think that gives us a good indicator of where noise entered the world. So before that time period, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And for some reason, I just imagine my, in my mind, it's like constant spa music, you know, it's just very (laughs) tranquil. But if you think about it, that's how their lives were. They didn't have sin. They didn't have worries. They didn't have doubt. They didn't have fear. I mean, they were just living these very peaceful lives. And then all of a sudden, Eve is introduced to the serpent. And I just feel like it's like somebody scratching a record. You know, she's like, oh, God is great. Everything is good. And then you know, what did they say? Are you sure? <laughs> right. Yeah. It just, yeah. he comes in and kind of breaks her, the soundtrack in her mind of this, this peaceful narrative of that everything is great. And she begins to question herself and she begins to put blast of doubt in her mind that, you know, the serpent kind of opens up. And I think, you know, we, the Bible doesn't give us an exact look inside of Eve's thoughts at that time, but I can only imagine that while she's looking at the fruit, you know, Genesis 3, 6, where it says she saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. And so you can think about her thoughts, right? I almost envision like the angel, she had the actual demon right in front of her, but the angel kind of like, ah, Eve, I don't think this is a good idea, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew that she decided to go with it anyways. And that ushered in that one simple act ushered in that constant noise, not only from the enemy, but from our own fleshly desires. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we see it then. But today, you know, I just think about like I know for me, if I think about my day, silence is a rarity. Yeah. And I'm just same. talking about general noise, right? Yeah. You know, we, we listen to podcasts on our way to work. The television is background noise for most of us. You're cooking dinner. You're listening to music, right? I mean, there is just a constant flow of sound in our lives. And so I think for us, we have to be very careful that in order to really understand the, the voice or what's coming from God is we have to be able to discern and distinguish voices and thoughts that are running counter to Christ. And so that's, those are kind of the unique challenges of today is that we just have so many competing voices in our lives. Yeah. You know, honestly, as, as you were just mentioning that I try to walk every day with my dogs and I have, um, lately, honestly, if I'm being honest, I am listening to a podcast or worship music or like Mark going a friend or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I've just been challenged recently kind of like, okay, Rachel, can you just use this time just to like be still, not be still, my legs are moving, but maybe my mind, you know, like your mind, listen, listen to me, you know, like that, this is a time that you can be out in nature and you can hear me. Um, and so that, so what you're saying is really resonating with me. Like, and that's just been a personal, even within the last week, like put your phone down and just be quiet. Um, just so I can listen, so I can listen. So I think, um, what you were talking about is like these voices, these constant voices. So how do we learn to discern between the voice of truth and the voice of the enemy? Cause I think that's sometimes confusing for me personally. Yes. Um, well, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out here on the verge of sounding like your Sunday school teacher. 
but it really <laughs> is the best way to discern, you know, God's voice versus the voice of the enemy. And I also say there's kind of that third competing voice, like our own fleshly desires, mm-hmm. our own fleshly nature as well. Yeah. Is you've got to read and study and meditate and just what you're saying, abide me, meaning yeah. like hanging out in silence in mm-hmm. God's word. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can't fight the enemy if we're not prepared for bad for battle. And we, mm-hmm. we reference that scripture of the armor of God in Ephesians six. And I think Paul uses words that I love. It's in the NIV version, but similar words in the other ones, but he says to put on the armor. And when I think of putting something on, I think about when you get dressed in the morning, right? You put on your shirt. Well, you don't take your shirt off throughout the day. Where's your shirt? It's with you the entire day. It is whatever you're doing. It's when you're eating, drinking, driving in the car, it's always there. And so what Paul is urging believers is to keep God's word within at all times. And I know for me personally, I used to just be in awe for people who would stand up and could pray the scriptures without looking at their Bibles, or if they were confronted with some issue, they were able to just use a Bible verse from memory. And I was just like, man, how are they able to that? And I'm not. And what mm-hmm. it was is because quite honestly, I thought that my five minutes a day, that quick reading in between the shower, and, I, and I'm not um, diminishing that, but the fact is it wasn't preparing me for the spiritual battle that I faced daily. And so I had to really ask God to help um, help me honor the commitment that I was making to him to study his word, hide it in my heart, write it on my words, um, because I just give me the time, make the time somewhere or get my priorities in line where I can be in his word diligently daily and for extended periods of time. Yeah. You know, as I'm talking and this is, um, I forget exactly who I first heard this from. It could be Priscilla Schreier from her Armor of God study, but mm-hmm. talking about like, the armor is all mostly defensive material, you know, defense, but then it's the word of God that's the offense, like the sword, you know, and how important um, both of those, all that armor is. Um, So, you know, I think the Christian life, I I think it never fails that we feel like we're kind of getting a hold, you know, like a hang of everything or things are going well. And then all of a sudden we come under like a vicious attack out of nowhere, seemingly. (laughs) So what would you say about Satan and his mission to destroy Christian women everywhere and every day? Yeah. So, you know, Jesus actually speaks exactly to this, um, what Satan's mission is in John chapter 10, 10. You know, he tells us that the the thief comes only to still kill and destroy right? I mean, he lays it right out there. Or in first Peter five, eight, we know that our enemy, the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know about you, but if I had a friend with those attributes, like they wouldn't be my friend for long, (laughs) right? But I think sometimes as believers, I'm not saying that we treat, you know, obviously Satan as a friend, but sometimes we like to think that, well, maybe he's just not as quite as bad as he is, right? Maybe there's a little twinge of like, he's not really trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Like, no, he's a hundred percent. That's his mission because he hates God. He hates God's creation. And he wants to just completely do whatever he can to take our faith and completely take it off the table for us. Right. And so I think one of the things I would encourage readers, and and I know sometimes the idea of spiritual warfare can be scary or frightening. Um, I know for me, I didn't necessarily grow up in a church that really spoke about it. Um, And so I learned more about spiritual warfare as an adult. And we have to really understanding how there is a constant battle around us. There's a battle for our minds. There's a battle for our hearts. um, And then how that, how we can fight that battle effectively But I I would say this, that the closer you are to God, and one thing I found, like, you know, the closer I am to him, I'm abiding in him, I'm being faithful to his commandments. It's like you said, I feel like I've got this Christian life down, right? Mm -hmm. That's when the attacks start coming. And so the good news is, is that we can prepare for those attacks. We don't have to be thrown off guard. You know, you can kind of assume, it's kind of like I always assume, okay, life's going too well, something's going to happen, right? But you can be prepared for those. And, you know, by, like we talked about earlier, quoting scripture out loud, 
praying in the moment, you know, having a community of believers to support you and stand with you. And just ultimately just put knowing that God is going to be the victor of the war. And even though we're facing battles, like, you know, there, God is our ultimate victor. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, I noticed that now that I do know that this is kind of going on around me, the spiritual warfare, that I'm able to like recognize it a lot sooner. Like I can start mm-hmm. to feel it. And then I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm on to you devil. Like, no, yeah. you know? <laughs> so it's like, I, I feel like I can kind of learn to, um, I don't know, as, as I'm maturing in life, I'm starting to recognize it a lot sooner and try to nip it in the bud. But sometimes we're just not able to do that. But um, and it goes on longer than we'd like it to. <laughs> but so let's chat about some of the lies that we are prone to believe. Uh, one of the lies that you explore in your book is that we can kind of have it all because that's what the American dream tells us. But as soon as we get it all, we realize that all is just a moving target. So what has God been revealing to you on this subject? So one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And if you're not familiar with that book, you know, the book was written by King Solomon and he's looking back on his life. Basically, he's giving a a summary of his life. And, you know, the Bible tells us that he was one of the wisest men in history. He had many wives. He was very wealthy. You know, in terms of earthly success, he would be the guy that you would say, oh, yeah, he has arrived, right? We yeah, want to yeah. be like him. And yet, when he was thinking about his time on earth, the conclusion that he made was everything is meaningless. And, and I, I say everything is meaningless, comma, apart from a relationship with God, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so here is a man who literally had it all, you know, in terms of temporal, earthly, Um, He had everything that he could ever wanted, but he's standing on his life and he's saying, you know, unless you have a relationship with God, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. And for me personally, that's exactly where I was about five years ago in terms of, you know, the successful, um, you know, calendar of, you know, or excuse me, picture of success. I was there, you know, had a great career financially. We were very well off, you know, husband, nice house, car, all in one pretty little bit. And on the outside, everything looked like picture perfect, that, that American dream that you just mentioned. But the inside, I was filled with conflict. I always felt like I needed more. I felt like I needed more money, whatever the gadget was, whatever it was, nothing could really satisfy. You know, my husband and our relationship wasn't good. I wasn't, I didn't have good friendships and my, my uh, walk with the Lord, non-existent. And, you know, I just, one day I was in just total despair. Honestly, Rachel, I was sitting in my car. I had just left a meeting that I was at and I just was sobbing and I was like, why can't I feel better? Why do I always feel just in conflict? Why am I always wrestling? What is the matter? And I actually said, Lord, stop this noise in my head. Stop. Mm. And that's when I felt that tug. And he said, you know, you know, that tug at my heart, Lara, you can't have it both ways. So you can either live your life surrendered to me where I can offer you rest and peace for all eternity Or you can continue to strive on the world's hamster wheel of success where you're never going to find eternal happiness, right? And I just thought, like, that's what it is, that Mm -hmm. it's a hamster wheel. Like, oh, wow. And so that really kind of got my attention. And, um, you know, I realized that my priorities are to lack and I tried to change my life to a more eternal minded um, perspective. So kind of like Solomon said, I went, wanted to go for the meaningful, what is meaningful in life um, versus, you know, the eternity side versus what is meaningless, the temporal side or worldly side. Yeah. Like, and he says, chasing the wind. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm doing that quite a bit. (laughs) It's like, I'm never going to catch it. It's useless. Yeah. Meaningless. Well, so many of us are also prone to believe that our past defines us. So rather than letting your past define you in a negative way, How do you think that we can use our testimony to point others to Christ instead? Yes. So this would really hit home for me personally, just because I do struggle a lot with my past and past transgressions before I came to Christ and after I came to Christ. Right. So I think we all have to remember that we have a story 
and we have a unique story. And I feel like I, I hear this a lot and, and it's kind of kitschy, but it's really, it's the truth. It's our story for God's glory. And, you know, one of the greatest accomplishments that I feel like I, I could have achieved is when somebody says, Oh my goodness, like you've really changed or your life looks so differently than before I knew you 10 years ago. And I'm like, Oh, you know, wow. Thank you. And I'm able to share, well, let me tell you why it changed or why it looks differently. Um, You know, the Bible tells us that we are a new creation, right? So that we should be changing and evolving in our process of evolving to becoming more like Jesus is that process of sanctification, right? Mm -hmm. And so every day we're going to look a little bit differently. Does that mean that we are going to live perfect lives, you know, after we come to Christ, that we're never going to have a blunder or something that we're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that or done that. No, we're not. But I do think that we're able to realize that, you know, the power of redemption, and that is what truly the good news of the gospel is, that saving grace on the cross and that time of salvation isn't just for my past sins, but it's for my past sins, my current sins, and my future sins. And, um, you know, we kind of chatted about this earlier, but Paul is just one of my favorite people in the mm. Bible. And I just resonate so much with him because I think about Paul and I, I say my own conversion. I tell people, well, when I had my Damascus moment, yeah. <laughs> and so I think about Paul though at Damascus and before he had his moment at Damascus where God met him and was like, Paul, hey, you know what? I know that you were killing and persecuting Christians, but you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to follow me. And, you know, I think about that story and he does write a little bit about it in some of the epistles in the New Testament, but Paul, I'm sure wrestled with some of those, his own thoughts about like, man, you know, just a couple years ago, or even a couple months, think about him starting in his ministry is I was persecuting these group of people, yeah. but what a powerful testimony to, to show Um, the testimony of God's power and his grace and his goodness. When you look at Paul's life and say, hey, I was once this way, but now I'm this way. And there's no other way that I can explain it or justify it. There wasn't a 10 step plan. There wasn't some kind of self-help guide or book, but no, it was a hundred percent the power of God. So Mm. I just try to put that in my perspective as there's a reason for my story. And even though I have an enemy who, sometimes wants to throw that in my face and cause guilt and shame. Um, you know, I, I have a purpose for it and it's to bring glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. And also to remember that Christ has forgiven us, like yes. as far as from the East is from the West. So we mm-hmm. need to do right. <laughs> well, so let's talk about body image for a moment. I, I think so many of us struggle with our appearance if we're honest. So how do we learn to be thankful for the, the way that God made us? So I have found that the body battle does not discriminate, um, no matter your age, your race, your background. Um, You know, I I would not venture as far that say all women at some point in their life deal with it. But I would say the majority of women have probably dealt with this same question of, you know, why was I made this way or why was she made this way? And Mm -hmm. I know we'll discuss this a little bit further about comparison but a lot of our insecurities stem from comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And then even on top of that is comparison's evil sister, which is covetousness, right? Oh. So if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not just saying like, why was I made this way? Or, you know, why does she have this? Or why does she look this way? And I don't. But if we're really honest, we then we might say, you know what? Like, well, I don't want to just look like her. I want to look one better yeah. than her. Yeah. And that kind of causes that that um, that rub in our lives. So instead of being grateful and thankful for the unique way that God created us or created them, really, it just makes us discontented, just disappointed with our lives and just discouraged. And so, um, you know, I discussed a little bit about this in the book. But one thing that really woke me up was um, the fact that I was 32 years old and still dealing with this issue. Um, my, my daughter was playing with her Barbies and as she was playing with her Barbies, she took one and she said, Oh, I'm not eating sugar right now. I have to get rid of this baby pudge. It's just so gross. And mm-hmm. I just crawled back into my, I mean, I just was like, <gasps> and I thought, Oh my goodness. Like, because, you know, and I started role playing. Well, I didn't say that to her. I didn't say that around her. 
you know, and I thought, oh my goodness, I said it to myself in the mirror and she must've been listening. Right. But Mm -hmm. either way, I said it about myself and, and God really convicted me. And he said, you know, you would never say that to your daughters. You would never say that about your daughters. You wouldn't say that to your friends. So why would you say that about yourself? You know, I don't see you that way. You know, I see you the way that you see your daughters, right? Beautiful, you know. And so, um, you know, one thing I I would just say here about this topic, you know, Rachel, is I would encourage anyone listening, because this is such a big issue for so many of us, to when you have the opportunity, genuinely compliment others. You know, I just think about how great I feel when someone says like, oh, you have the best hair or man, that, that dress looks so good on you. I mean, it just like lifts my spirits. And if I was having a battle with that, it basically just those two little words just diminishes, you know, a, a day, a week of me just tearing myself down. So, um, you know, I just our words are powerful, both our own about ourselves and others. And I would just kind of encourage people to, to use that as a tool to help others fight this battle. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think social media has not helped matters much. So how are you seeing Satan use social media to deceive us even further? Yeah. So social media kind of like Satan often works in half truths, right? Mm -hmm. So we see one side of the story when we're, when we're scrolling through, you know, we see a doctored image. And a lot of times what the problem is, is that we see a doctored image and we accept that image as reality, Or we see a highlight reel and think that is the everyday, not the exception, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, if you just took a second and you scrolled through your feed, you know, right now, you would probably look through. And there's a side of your brain that logically says, like, well, of course they don't go to the beach every week. I know that, right? But there's another side that you're like, wow, how does her skin always look that good? Why does my skin look that good? You know, I mean, it's hard for us to discern the two, right? And so... I just, I do want to be clear though, that social media is not the enemy. Yeah. Filters and stickers and all those fun effects. That's not the problem, but it's the power that we allow to hold over our lives. And so what I finally had to do one day when I was just really struggling with this is I wrote out a couple of questions that I had to really start asking myself before I let myself go down that downward, that downward spiral of comparison or doubt or just feeling less than. And so Um, You know, some of the things I ask is, am I engaging in content as a way to escape problems in my own life, Mm -hmm. right? Am I spending time scrolling that should be spent in a more productive way? You know, a big thing for me was, am I finding myself jealous or envious when I glance through my friend's, you know, feed? And, you know, the biggest thing that hit home to me was I have to ask myself, sometimes on a daily basis, is... Have I made social media an idol? And Mm. if I really want to get brutally honest, I have to say, do I care more about what that little square on my phone thinks about me than God? Yeah. Um, And those are tough questions, but they are. Yeah. They'll quickly show where your heart lies. You know, is it for good or, or maybe you need to readjust? Yeah. Wow. Those are some really good uh, introspective questions. So, um, Happily ever after is another lie that you talk about in your book pertaining to our view of marriage and what it should look like. So marriages and families, I think, are always under attack by the enemy. So how do we focus on God's design for a holy marriage rather than what the world tells us it should be? So I think we really first need to go back to our understanding of of marriage, right? So what are the roles of husband and wife? And one thing I have to constantly remind myself is that God made both man and woman in his image. He loves us equally. We're not necessarily equal in terms of the roles that he's placed us in our marriage and our households. And a lot of the responsibility I know in my marriage and conflict that have, or excuse me, the conflict that I have in my marriage is when I'm trying to take on the responsibilities that were never meant for me to have in the first place. And so I know for a lot of people, this is going to be a really ugly word and a taboo word, even in Christian circles, but it's the idea of submission, 
in marriage and, and what does submission look like and what does a husband's love look like for his wife? And, you know, Paul, again, he goes back and we, if we read Ephesians 5 and he's giving us instructions of a Christian household. The overall message is he says, wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord and husband love your wives as yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think so often people throw out that wives submit to your husband, wives submit to your husband. And maybe that's where that negative connotation is. But it's not a, a completely blind command. I think one, we have to realize we're submitting to our husband out of reverence to the Lord, right? So our submission to our husband is submitting to the Lord, right? But also is it's easy to submit to a husband who is loving us the way that Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And so if our if in our marriage we are in we are fulfilling the roles that God designed for us then it shouldn't be a problem. You know, love shouldn't be a problem. Submission shouldn't be a problem. Respect shouldn't be a problem. You know, marriage is one of the greatest testimony of Christ's love to a broken world. And, you know, if we can continue to love and forgive and stick with our spouse and the good and the bad, man, what a beautiful illustration of Christ's redemptive work on the cross not just, you know, that day at Calvary, but every day, his daily grace that he lavishes on his own bride, the church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and I, I will say this, you know, it is hard. Like you said, marriage is constantly under attack. But two quick things that I did realize in my marriage that are practical ways that I really helped to battle that is one, I stopped assuming that my husband was always out to get me because that is a tool of the enemy. I mean, like if he went to the grocery store and forgot the milk, I literally be like, you did that because you don't value me. Like, oh my goodness, that's it. Like, you don't respect me. You don't value me. You don't love, you know. Okay, mm-hmm. come on. You know, yeah. <laughs> quickly jump to conclusions. And I think, like I said, the, tw- the enemy wants us to do that. He wants us to have this constant conflict with each other. And so having to realize that sometimes, just like myself, he falls short, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a personal attack. It's just, it is. And the second thing is I had to stop relying on my husband to fill a void that only God can fill in my life. And, you know, he's not going to be perfect. Only Jesus was that. And, you know, only Jesus was a perfect man and he's going to mess up and he's going to fail just like me. Um, But, you know, I can, we can have a great relationship through the power of the Holy Spirit and relying on, you know, relying on God and his promises, but only God is meant to fill that void of savior in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, when my husband and I, when we first met, I expected him to fill me. And so it was so freeing once I developed my relationship with the Lord. Um, and it was freeing for Brian. <laughs> for yeah. <sure. laughs> put some pressure off of him. But so for the women listening who are mothers, what would you tell them about the lie that we tend to believe about that role? Um, you know, I think that we often undervalue the role of mother. I know for me, especially, you know, I've, I struggle a lot as a new mom. And as I had subsequent children of really the idea that just being a mom was just not good enough. Right. Yeah. I had yeah. to have all these other things, especially when I qu- quit working outside the home. I just, I suffered this identity crisis and I just, I had to have these answers to what did you do all day? Now, nobody was asking this question of me, but internally it was like, I was Mm -hmm. this complete failure as if taking care of my children just was not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I talked to a lot of women. I know a lot of other women feel that way. And we know that motherhood is not glamorous. You know, there's not always a long line of people giving you a gold star or saying like, Woo, way to go. You refilled 10 glasses of water today. right? <laughs> but I think we have to realize that what is the calling of motherhood? What is called us to do, right? The Bible tells us that parents are to train up their children in the way they should go. They're to provide um, discipline and instruction. And most importantly, they are to teach them God's word. I mean, those are big tasks, right? Yeah. Um, and what I will say is I'll never forget this. Um, and I, I've thought about this a lot as I have become a mother and I have really questioned, is it, is it worth it? Right. Is this all worth it? Is a conversation that I had with a girl in college and, you know, I, she had told me that she had grown up in a Christian home, but decided to walk away from the faith. And I said, well, I mean, why? Like, what, 
what made you walk away? And she said, well, I don't know. You know, I had a mom that just basically crammed it down my throat all the time, but she was such a hypocrite. She never practiced what she preached. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, that, wow, that is so sad because my situation was completely opposite. I mean, I am where I am today because I had a mother that not only, I mean, she practiced what she preached and then some, right? I mean, she, I saw her read her Bible. I saw her pray. I saw her ad nauseum quote scriptures to me about how we live. My, my famous quote is, do you have to bring God into everything? <laughs> and yeah. now she laughs because I'll be telling my girls, why do we not hit our sister? Because God tells us to love others. But she's like, oh, that sounds like you're bringing God into everything. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. But I just have to remind myself is that like, the reason why I walked back into my faith from a, a season of waywardness is because of my mother. And so the question I ask myself is, or what I like to think is like a mother, motherhood is powerful in the sense of, you know, you can either point somebody to Jesus or point them away. You know, what am I doing with my, my days? Yeah. You know, this has been kind of, um, we talked before the interview, my kids are home doing virtual school and it's taken away from some of the other things that I thought that I would be able to do with writing and whatnot. But I've come, it's like motherhood is my number one priority. And so that's okay, you know, but it's, it's kind of just letting go and, and valuing that is just as important as the writing, um, which I know it is in my head, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's just hard to play that out. Um, and I so obvious, uh, so resonated with when you're talking about like getting the gold star and like not always being celebrated. And cause I like that. Like when my husband gets home, it's like, well, let me tell you all that I accomplished today. Yeah. I want to prove to you that I did something of value, you know, and he doesn't, he doesn't ask that of me, but for whatever reason, I feel like I need to offer that up. So kind of on this topic of productivity, I think one of the questions that you ask at the end of that chapter is, are we trying to meet the world's demands or are we obeying God's commands? So I'd love for you to elaborate on this thought for a moment. Yeah. So this, when I was thinking about this question, I really was in the back of my mind thinking about the hustle culture or the hustle movement that really bombards us right now on a daily basis. And it's in, it's in secular and Christian circles. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I mean, it's on mugs, it's on t-shirts, books, podcasts, everything out there. And it's the overall theme of, you know, if you just work hard enough, whatever you desire will be yours. Yeah. And for somebody, I know you and I share this, I mean, I, I, I'm an ending game three, right? So I'm the one yep. that's out there like pedal to the metal. Let's go. Let's go. The achiever. And so I hear that message. and I'm like, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm not good enough. I got to go. I got to strive. I got to do. I got to do. Right. And um, that mentality for me for so long led me to physical and emotional exhaustion. It, it cost me a lot of my relationships. Um, you know, it cost me you know, at some point closeness with my husband at certain times, because in my mind, I was going to achieve this goal at any cost. It didn't matter what the sacrifice was. It was out there for my taking. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's so funny for years and I'm sure there's, there might be somebody out there. So I'll just help set this record straight that I believe that God helps those who help themselves was in the Bible. I thought it was a scripture verse tucked somewhere. I don't know. In the old, the old Testament, Leviticus yeah. gets a little hairy at times, you know, yeah. so yeah. maybe it's in there. I don't know, but it's not right. And so I had, I, for some reason in my warped sense of view, I thought, okay, so here's the deal. In order to get my gold star from God, give my hundred percent, my 110%, because if I didn't at least give my 110%, then he wasn't going to show up. And that's not how God works. Right. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of quite the opposite, right? You think about the woman with the two pennies, right? She gave her two pennies. What could he do with two pennies versus, uh, or, or two coins, excuse me. You know, there's so many times in the Bible that God uses people that they brought a little to the table, not a lot, a little to the table. And it was God that met them with his power and his ability to move. And so for something I'm still wrestling with myself, just to be completely transparent is I know that God's not calling us to completely sit back and do nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't sit on our couch and be like, okay, God, I, 
I want to tell others about, well, I guess now you can probably do that because you can podcast on YouTube. <laughs> you know what? I don't want to bake a cast. I don't want to have my friends over, you know, just sitting here. You're going to magically have them on the table, right? Um, you know, Thessalonians tells us that to acknowledge those who work hard among them and honor them for their work. So we know that work has a place. But we really need to constantly take, I always talk about get, get my lens out, right? And where's my lens? I got to hold it over my heart and really look hard in there and say, am I trying to be a one woman show making it all about me because it fuels something, something desirous of me to point it to me? Or am I working alongside the Lord for his glory and his purpose, giving him, you know, the glory, the gratitude, that gratification. I'm just the tool that he uses. So it's hard, but I I have to go back to that daily. Yeah. Yeah. Holding the lens over our heart. That's really good. Um, Okay. So the next lie that you explore is that we can't save the world. So why do we even bother? And so I think, honestly, many of us feel like our contributions are too small, like you just mentioned, or insignificant maybe. So for the woman feeling that way today, how would you encourage her? So I recently read a book about the 12 disciples and I'm embarrassed to admit um, that when I got to Andrew, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Andrew is one of the disciples. <laughs> that's funny, Laura. You're not the only one. I'm like, oh, what'd he do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Funny. I mean, yeah. um, and it's called 12 Ordinary Men. I will say this for a minute. Great. It's by John MacArthur. But um, he, you know, I'm like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. But the thing is about Andrew <laughs> is we see in scripture, when scripture lists the 12 disciples, they list by orders the order of kind of closeness to Jesus. And we see Peter and James and John are in there and Andrew. So we know that he had a very tight relationship with Jesus and Jesus's ministry. And yet most of us are like, Andrew, oh yeah, Peter's brother. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got it. Um, So I think, you know, the thing I love about Andrew, two things that people don't really know, and that really resonated in my heart, was Andrew, while everybody else was freaking about out about how we're going to feed these 5,000, he was the one that took the boy to Jesus oh, and said, hey, Master Lord, here's this boy, right? So it's so tiny. I mean, Rachel, like when I went back and read, I was like, no, nah, that, I don't think that's in there. And I'm like, oh, wait, yes, it is. Okay, mm-hmm. definitely didn't know that. And the second piece is that Andrew's ministry was marked by bringing one, like one person at a time to Jesus. He didn't bring the crowds. And if you look at him versus his brother, Peter, you know, Peter is, you know, the one that really kind of is claimed for or named, excuse me, for starting the early church. He was the first sermon. If you think about it, like I think of Peter as like the Billy Graham, right? He was out there. He was the main guy. But Andrew was the one who was, he was the helper. He came alongside and he brought people one-on-one. And the greatest thing about Andrew that I think we can really learn from him is it could have been really easy for him to compare his ministry, his role in the kingdom to his brothers, Peter's. Because on the outside, I mean, I know I did before I read this book, I would have been like, yeah, Peter was the main guy. He was the head honcho. You know, he was Mm -hmm. the one who was really making the kingdom impact. But reading these scriptures about Andrew, I realized like they were both making kingdom impact. They both probably, you know, they both heard well done, my faithful servant. It's just they had different roles and different missions. And when we start to realize that nothing is insignificant and your role and my role and my task and your task aren't necessarily all all the same, that's when we really start to thrive and feel our significance in Christ. Mm, Laura, that is so interesting. I'm going to have to go read about Andrew. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. Uh, My life mission that. now. Let people know about Andrew. I <laughs> know. Uh, that's so, so good. So, okay. You just kind of, we've mentioned comparison several times. So w- what do you do? Like when you start to feel yourself getting caught up in this trap of comparison, how have you learned to best escape? I think this one is so hard, Rachel, because I feel like comparison is a subconscious narrative that so many of us play in our minds and we don't even know it. You know, we're constantly saying like, you know, am I prettier than her? Am I more fit than her? Do I have nicer clothes than her? Am I smarter than her? You know, whatever it is, it's like, we're, we're just kind of ingrained to do that. And so, you know, one of the things I've had to realize is kind of like we said earlier, I've got to know exactly when it starts and shut it down. Right. I can't even let myself go down the path. 
And this is kind of crazy, but it has worked for me because it's basically calling attention to what it is. Because so often, right, we like to we like to take comparison and just sweep it under the rug and just mm-hmm. say, well, I'm just like, you know, it's not really a negative thing. I'm just pointing out the way that we're different. And sure, Rachel has brown hair. Laura has red hair. That's a difference. But it's the heart matter of it, right? I, you know, I wish I had right? It's, it's how we view ourselves in light of other people. And so one of the things I've had to do, as we talked about earlier, I struggle with body image. And so the pool at summertime is a hard mm-hmm. place for me. And, yeah. you know, and I, I've had to recently, what have I done is one, I have taken the time when I feel that rising up in my heart, you know, the prayer I pray in the morning is God help me to call it like it is, right? Don't let me cover sun up. Don't let me put, you know, a bandaid or a pretty filter on it. Call it like it is. And I say, okay, you know what? If I'm looking at this woman, I'm like, man, she's got the best, whatever. I say a prayer right then and there. I say it out loud and I say it using scripture. So like, let's say the version of the body, you know, this body image. I would say something like, Lord, thank you for wonderfully making her. I'm also thankful you created me in your image too. Mm -hmm. And and I I know this can get kind of interesting, right? Like, especially since, you know, sometimes comparison happens out loud, but maybe sometimes a silent prayer. But for me, there's something about the words leaving my mouth um, that help them exit my heart and mind too. So, yeah. but it's a day, it's a daily struggle. Yeah. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. And so are we, right? Right. <laughs> so That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing, a lie that maybe we're prone to believe is that we will always have tomorrow. How have you learned to live each day as if it could be your last? When I was 20 years old, uh, my uncle, who was 32 at the time, died within six months of brain cancer. Um, He left behind a baby and a toddler and a wife. You know, they were newly been married for a couple years. And I just remember thinking, like, God, why did you take him? I mean, he had so much life to live. He was only 32. That's way too young. And I'm sure, Rachel, you and many of the listeners probably have a similar situation of somebody that they felt that God took too soon, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And um, a couple years ago, I hit my 32nd birthday and the reality of the age, right? Because when I was 20, 32 was like still kind of old, you know? <laughs> now I'm like, 32? Whoa, that's a baby. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I hit my 32nd baby and I thought, oh, this is the time that my uncle had passed away. You know, what if the Lord chose to take me tonight? And it had me thinking, am I living like this could be my last day? Of course, I say that with my words that, okay, you know, God can take me at any time. I'm ready. My heart's ready. But are my actions reflecting the reality that I believe that, you know, that I'm not promised tomorrow. So, you know, I, I will tell you, honestly, I do like to imagine myself, you know, at 90 years old, drinking my coffee, sitting in my rocking chair, just mm-hmm. hanging out, living the good life. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't allow that image to distract me from today's mission. Because God is very clear that we're told to love God, love others, and spread the good news. You know, he doesn't say with the caveat of like, when your kids are grown, when your job settles down, you know, when all the stars align. No, he says today. And so I have to always think in my mind, you know, what I can do today doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Mm, Yeah, Oh, that's good. That's a good challenge. Uh, You know, okay, so kind of encapsulating all of those lies that we've just talked about, everything that you've just said, practically speaking, what insight would you provide to stand firm and fight the perpetual daily battles against Satan? Like what, I don't know, how do we we instill and put this into practicality in our daily lives? Yes. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. You've got to be in the word. Um, (laughs) I know people are like, seriously, haven't we already talked about this? But that is the number one way. It is spending significant time. And when I mean significant time, I, you know, y'all, I get it. 
I mean, I know you're a mom. We talked about this earlier. I'm a mom. I've got young kids. But you have to prioritize spending time in the scripture. And one of the things that I have really used to convict me of when I am spending time in other areas, you know, I say I'm so busy or my children are this or that. I make all these excuses because let's be honest, we are a people of excuses. Yeah. I have gone back and that great little tool on your phone that tells you where exactly <laughs> you're spending your time. Yeah. So No, I don't have 30 minutes to read my Bible, but that is shocking that I found 30 minutes on Pinterest. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. What do I have yeah. to show for it? Not really sure. Right. Yeah. And so one thing I have to, I've learned is that I have made quiet time non-negotiable. Um, I love to read. I like to work out. I enjoy a good movie. Um, I also enjoy, you know, social media, Pinterest, all those things too. But before I allow myself to engage in those activities, I get into the word. Like it it is, I have to do that first. And sometimes it's not always in the morning, right? It's not, I have best intentions like everybody else, you know, but it's not always in the morning and it's not always perfect. Um, You know, I I posted a picture a couple of weeks ago and I was my toddler drawing in my Bible with a pen. And I said, Hey, if you are struggling with your quiet time, know that you're not alone. You know, it's not (laughs) perfect. They were outside supposed to be playing in the, in the pool while I read or, Sometimes I've put on a movie, you know, I mean, yes, the reality is you would love to be able to carve out that 30 minutes or an hour to just be with God, but there are stages and season of your life that that's not practical. So I think finding time to where it it is practical and also kind of inviting uh, your children with you. I, I, for the longest time, believed the lie that like my children can't see me read my Bible or like God doesn't honor it if it's all alone in my room. And what a better testimony to your children to see you prioritize reading God's word, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the other big thing, think of practical advice that I would give you guys, it's a book by Jen Wilkin. It's called Women of the Word. It teaches us, she basically goes through, it's not a very long book, but she really goes through about how to study the Bible with your heart, soul, and mind. And it this understanding, you know, just the basic concepts of how to read your Bible from the perspective of who, what, when, where, why, how to break down scripture. I mean, Rachel, the understanding that the Bible is a book about God. Now I know that sounds crazy, but I was 30 years old when I realized that the Bible just wasn't a book that I opened up to tell me about me. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. There's things that benefit me, but it's to tell me about my creator and how I can become more like him. And so when I learned to really apply, you know, how to study my Bible, that radically changed my life as well. Um, And I started, you know, taking pieces of scripture and memorizing them. You talk about on your walk um, earlier, you know, I would take scripture cards and memorize them to walk in the car line, right? Just that constant repetitive nature. And that really helps when you are struggling. Like for me, you talk about fearfully and wonderfully made when I'm dealing with body image, that's the scripture I use. So I've really personalize my scripture memory for for the lies or things that I believe um, that I come under attack with so I can fight them. Yeah, those are really, really good suggestions, Laura. So, okay, so this season, I am asking all of my guests who has loved them well and how have they loved you well? So, Laura, I would love to hear who first comes to mind for you. My husband, And I'll be honest, I say it like that, because if I probably heard this on a podcast, truth be told, I might even give an eye roll, right? I'm like, you're listening, come on. But bear with me, because those of you, I know you've read my book, but if there's, you know, I talk a lot about this, is we have a great marriage, but it's not one that you're going to find on the Hallmark Channel, right? (laughs) So it's not filled with flowers and roses and these long Mm. love letters, right? But, you know, my husband and I are completely different and it is truly by God's sovereignty and lots of grace that we even made it together because we did our best to break up numerous times. Um, But we're going on eight years of marriage and, you know, the last five years for me, especially have been marked by transformation And the Lord put my husband in my life because he knew exactly the kind of person that I would need as I grew in my sanctification. My husband is a steady Freddie kind of guy. Um, He's a rock. He just stays with it when I'm like out there going a million miles a minute and questioning all these things and, you know, having all these doubts. And he's there to kind of settle me and calm me down. And I think when I when I think of love, I think of somebody who doesn't try to change you because my husband even though he's you know, that type B, I'm type A, he doesn't try to change me, 
But he does try to, in an extremely loving way, point it out when, you know, I'm not walking out my faith. You know, he holds me accountable or just honestly, when I need to be called on some stuff, but he does it in a loving way and he does it for my benefit. And because he desires that now, you know, we go together in Christ, I go in Christ. Um, and he just really helps me to become you know, more like Jesus. So mm-hmm. mm, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> well, so, okay. So how can listeners stay in contact with you? Yes. Yeah, so I blog at, um, you know, www.laurarbailey.com or you can connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Laura Bailey Wright. All right, Laura, thank you so much for being my guest and for helping us to learn to silence the lies of the deceiver and live beyond the noise. God bless you, friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Laura Bailey. We hope and pray that after tuning in, you can silence the lies of the deceiver and live beyond the noise. New this season, I just want to go deeper. And so I thought to every week, we're going to add a new segment that is called Living Out the Love Offering, just so we can tangibly and practically live out our faith. And so, based on the conversation with each week's guest, we're just going to create a Be the Love Offering, a different topic for each week to go and apply uh, that week in our, in our daily lives. Because it's one thing to hear the word, but it's another thing to practice the word. And so, this is putting um, Um, putting our faith to practice and being doers of the word. And so this week, based on the conversation with Laura, this love offering is actually for you. I would like you to step one is to identify the lie that you feel like the deceiver Satan is attacking you with. We all kind of, we know we talked about with Laura, 10 different ones. And so if there was one of those that really um, hit you personally, go ahead and write that down, or it may be something else. And then step number two is to go to scripture and to find a Bible verse to counteract that lie with God's truth. And I think that um, you will be surprised how quickly every time the deceiver tries to attack that you then just quote that scripture back, how much that dissolves uh, the enemy's arrows. So I can't wait to hear how that um, practice impacts you personally. Uh, And in fact, if you would like to go even deeper, you can join the love offering community over on Facebook. Just search for that community on Facebook and I'll gladly let you into it. It's just a way to, again, go deeper with one another and community and to encourage each other to love fully and live faithfully. If you're interested in connecting over on social media, I'm there as well on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me at Rachel Adams Author. And also you can find me at rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive the weekly love offering newsletter so you never miss a thing. And you can also get the Love Offering blog series. That's new where I have women uh, as guest writers that are writing their story of how they have been loved well or have loved well just to help us to learn to do the same. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so other women can find this Love Offering message. Next week, my guest is Miranda Jo Davis. She is sharing her testimony and tips on how to resist throwing away messy relationships, showing compassion, managing our expectations, and salvaging broken relationships. Basically, how do we love the unlovable? which is us sometimes too, if we're being honest, right? But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so glad that you were here. I can't wait to share Miranda Joe's episode next week and connect with you over on Facebook and Instagram um, and Twitter and all the places. And until then, until we meet again, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love. <music>